Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, I'm too young to keep a good love from going wrong. Wouldn't need no mojo pin and death by the Mississippi. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, Tapopolis. This is Doug Cooper, your host tonight, and I am joined by the increasingly humble Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hello, everyone, in Tapster land. And we're also joined by T, or PPT, that's Power Pop Tony. Good evening, everybody. We're very happy to be here tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about one single studio album by Jeff Buckley. Uh, This is his album, Grace. It's on Columbia, and it's a fine album. And we'd love to jump immediately into that, but we have business to take care of. (laughs) Tony and I have had a couple of really hard weeks. We have been attacked by our audience. (laughs) We've we've gotten hate mail. Yeah, our first ever. Um, Jam is, uh, you know, I think people feel bad. That's that's the point of this talk. (laughs) I need to be very honest with our audience. Your criticisms of this show help us get better, and we welcome them, even when you call me a redneck and accuse me of having an accent. <laughs> I cannot believe that. You, you, you have an accent. Who knew? Anyway, uh, we do request that you continue telling us what we're doing that, that can be improved. But the main problem is JM has not been attacked yet. <laughs> so... Yeah, please. Uh, this week, please focus on JM <laughs> and everything he does wrong. Well, I think we need to let him talk a little bit before people can attack him. Yeah. Well, that's our secret plan. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all me tonight. You haven't had enough rope. Yeah. <laughs> okay, back to where we were before. I'm going to start this podcast with a question the way we start all of these. Um, Tony? Yeah, Doug. How come you didn't pick this album? <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know this album before our fans recommended it to us. And I woefully regret that. <laughs> JM, why didn't you pick this album? I, of the three of us, I am probably the, the most familiar with this album. I um, had a 
friend who listened to it pretty much incessantly when it came out and to a point where I would just not really look forward to when it was <laughs> when I'd walk into her office because that, that, that inevitably the song was this album was on. I, I don't maybe know. that's why she was pr- playing. Yeah, it. Maybe that is. Keep me out of her office. Um, I'm not sure. I, I you know, I, I, I have always just been lukewarm on this guy. And I, I think that I'm going to um, change my mind on, on this show. I was uh, very pleasantly surprised with, with this. Don't album. give away the ending. I'm sorry. Doug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why did I not pick this album? Yeah. Easy. Never heard of it. <laughs> and I, I mean, I did hear Hallelujah like everybody else did. And I thought it was a, was a, that, was very that a respectable. Was that a big song on this album? It had some impact. I got a funny story about that. But anyway, I think y'all remember that you told me over and over again that we were doing a listener pick. Mm, By the way, ladies and gentlemen, this is a listener pick. That's why we're all so ignorant. Yeah. And we appreciate the pick. But y'all had to keep telling me it wasn't Tim Buckley over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) This was a listener pick. This is our second listener pick. It is. Uh, Tony? Yeah, Who in the world recommended? I, I know we had a lot of people recommend this one, but uh, are there some early recommenders you'd like to mention? Yeah, there are a couple of early people. Uh, I always want to apologize if I mispronounce your name, but John Skull and Todd Cox uh, and a gentleman by the name of Patrick Kasurik all recommended this early on. Well, we need to put them to the front of the recommendation list. <laughs> yeah. They definitely know what they're talking about. Sure do. All right, so... As, as we mentioned, there was a Tim Buckley. He had a son, and um, he didn't pay any attention to him. <laughs> well, he, he basically ran off when he was two years old. No, no, no. He ran off. He, he left before a month before he was born. Jeez. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, Billy Joe Schaefer. My pappy up and left me two months before he had me. <laughs> Hit the road and never once looked back. He wasn't married very long to his wife, and I think when she got pregnant, he it was a real not a really great relationship anyway. And when she got pregnant, he's like, "I'm out." Well, you know what? This is a little early, but I can't help it. <laughs> we have all been here before. The- anyway, we have a few connections, probably much fewer than we've had in the past. Yep. For a guy that only got to 30, we have a few. And the one that came to my mind right away was Nielsen. Any guesses why? I have no idea. Harry Nielsen? Mm-hmm. No idea. Same deal with the father. Oh. Ah. And uh, I kept um, I kept thinking about that during this whole album. And the other thing it keeps is the singing, uh, the voice. Yeah, the voice. The power and the range of the voice oh, reminded absolutely. me. Yeah, absolutely. Her, And yep. what a great compliment to get compared to that guy. Yeah. The... I will. I will say the one positive thing with Jeff Buckley is he did not follow in his father's footsteps where Harry <laughs> Nielsen did, and essentially abandoned his son as well. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Jeff Buckley didn't have one, but he was also clean. He wasn't. A, he wasn't into drugs or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. And uh, well, he was for a little while. Yeah, but but he got clean. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> when he died, he didn't have heroin in his veins. <laughs> he didn't. Just river water. I've got one. Obscure. Take it away. Meatloaf. Oh, I have no idea. Mm. Both of these albums were recorded at Bearsville Studio in Woodstock, 
was wasn't um, the XTC album also recorded yes, there? Yes, it was. Yeah. So yeah. XTC is another. Yeah, another XTC. The, the, that, yeah. And all those albums are crystal clear. Yeah, I I have one. Okay. Tom, Tom Waits and Linda Ronstadt. Uh, it's going to be the club. Um, no. Okay. I mean, it could be, but that's not what my connection is. I, I'm is lost. It? Me too. So Herb Cohen, who was their, both of their managers, uh, mm-hmm. is the person who took Jeff Buckley when he was in L.A. to record his first set of demos. Yeah, well, he was Tim Buckley's uh, manager, manager well. too. Yeah, is that right? I didn't know yeah, that. I remember that now. Yeah. Huh. I know that Tim Buckley and and uh, Linda Ronstadt and that whole crowd at the Troubadour were yeah. intimately connected. Yeah. Any more fellers? Well, there's well, there is the obvious one. one. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, Leonard Cohen. Um, hmm. Yeah, he did the probably the definitive version of uh, Hallelujah. Probably the guy who probably Leonard Cohen. Cohen got that song from Tim Buckley. <laughs> I mean, there I go again. <laughs> Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley, yeah, it's going to be hard to do that all night. <laughs> no, Jeff Buckley uh, kind of... Well, took, there's a, Yeah, he took the... And we, there was also the version by uh, John Cale. And which he, got his attention. Which got his attention. So John Cale played it on his album, the, the live album that he did. And then uh, Jeff Buckley heard that version and kind of adapted it. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why I was kind of lukewarm to... Uh, Jeff Buckley, because the only thing that I knew about him was that he covered that song. And I actually had heard that song before I knew who Jeff Buckley was. So I was kind of like, ah, he can't do anything other. He can't really write a tune. He has to make up. He has to redo the John Cale version of Hallelujah. Uh, I, but John, he gives John Cale a pass. Did you notice that? <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I think uh, I would hazard to say that. Jeff Buckley does more than just sort of redo the song, but that's just. Me. I'll 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 tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll agree with you that I, I think that 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 John Cale did the song more. Jo- like you hear the Leonard Cohen version of Hallelujah, and it's just not anywhere near as good as the, in my opinion, the John Cale I, version. I agree with it, that. So I agree with that. Oh. I've got another connection, another Leonard Cohen connection that's not Hallelujah. Oh, what's that? Well, you recommended, I believe you recommended the I'm Your Man concert yeah. film. Uh-huh. The gentleman who uh, produced that, Hal Wilmer, mm-hmm. also produced the concert, the tribute concert to Tim Buckley. That was Jeff Buckley's very first public, like public appearance. Is that right? In New York, yeah. Huh. Wow. Or one of his first, yeah. at least. Well, um, anyway, where'd this guy come from? There's this guy named Scott Moorhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was his original name. He was known as Scotty to his family. But and he it, took his stepfather's name, yeah, uh, he, after his father abandoned him. And his yeah. stepfather was immensely influential on him musically, yeah. musically, which yeah. is which I I have to think that changing his name to Buckley had to be calculated for, uh, yeah, I'm sure it was because it when he doesn't started, sound like there's anything else his father gave him. Yeah. Maybe the uh, natural talent. You know what? I think it's okay if he takes his dad's name and it helped him out, considering his dad didn't leave him a whole lot. <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't blame him for that at all. I just hope his stepfather was treated nicely during that process because yeah. his stepfather seemed to really step up. Yeah, he seemed like a really good guy. Introduce him to music. Uh, and then uh, Scott Moorhead, uh, also known as Jeff Buckley, his mother was a very talented musician. She mm-hmm. was classically trained 
pianist and uh, uh what's that big violin called it that's on the floor jam is that the bass or the cello the cello that's yeah. right and then i'll tell you what's interesting she was a zonian what's that i didn't know that then i don't know what a zonian is so um, someone from scion arizona <laughs> someone from the panama canal region oh really? and they were the workers sit oh. down by the united states huh. to work on the canal Interesting. They became yeah. known as Zonians. That's pleasant. <laughs> anyway, I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that before either, yeah. I, I find that very interesting yeah. and uh, completely irrelevant to our story. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, but he was raised mostly in California, Southern California. So he had that Southern California vibe, yeah. which was, you know, the true, we've mentioned the Troubadour and a lot of stars got their their start there a lot of the people from that 70s early 70s era and got their start there two two sort of big moments or not one one's not a moment it's just a thing and then a moment one was when he was six he found a guitar in his grandmother's house mm-hmm. and uh, became enamored with it and taught himself how to play it or attempted to teach himself to play it but as we sp- spoke about his dad ron introduced him to all this music that pretty amazing. You can hear it, even though it doesn't necessarily sound like it in this album, you can mm-hmm. hear every bit of Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, Queen, yeah. the who, all of that stuff is interspersed in all this music. It, it's fascinating. And right. his, his first record, <laughs> physical graffiti. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh I, yeah. That's right. I had absolutely zero trouble. <laughs> No, telling this kid listen to Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely agreed with the histrionics and the and slow, I know, fast, slow, fast. I, I know that he yeah. he expanded past that quite a bit, yeah. but it is. Well, I, I hear Robert Plant's singing influence yeah. him. In fact, I'm going to stop right there because I have another question mm-hmm. for you, two, you guys. Mm-hmm. We've talked before. I know for a fact, Cocktail is both of your favorite movies with Tom Cruise. <laughs> And I know y'all are aspiring mixologists, and we've been out together. I've seen you get the fancy cocktails with yeah, the, 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 the umbrellas and feathers coming out of them and all that. The more rum and fruit you can put in it, the better. So yeah. as a mixologist, if I were making the Tim, the Jeff Buckley cocktail, mm-hmm. what would be in that cocktail? Do we have to give you percentages? or <laughs> Percentages would be really good oh, if you can. I don't think I could. I can give you ingredients, or at least some. Let's hear some ingredients. I think Zeppelin's an easy one. Mm-hmm. I think Queen is also in there. Mm-hmm. You got to put a finger picker in there because he plays a whole lot of fi- uh, finger picking style. You know, you could almost put like a Jeff Beck in there, I think, in, in, in some of the way that he just runs up and down the neck with his guitar playing. It, it, well, you know who big. his early guitar hero was? No. Al Demiola. Really? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Which... I don't hear too much. I don't hear too much of that. But no. he went through some phases after right. that. His one of his bandmates yeah. said he was a great shredder on heavy metal tunes. I, yeah. I, I, I would, I could see that. He's, well, he is an exceptional guitar player. He is. Yeah. Well, I'll, can, uh, not trying to sound not humble, but I actually saw him play one time at the uh, Continental Club. Oh and wow! I can't, I can't remember. Why I was there, I can't remember if I was. We were opening for him, or or, or what the situation was. But maybe the, he was opening for y'all. It might have been. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember it was. I was his guitar playing just just blew me away. But the guy was he was an odd guy. I remember, and you know, I did get to talk to him for a little while. But man, you would you would he was just very shy. 
But I remember his guitar. He was playing a, a Telecaster. I remember it very well. And he had it. He was just constantly tuning it to different different tunings. And so he was in his fingers were just all over the place when he would play. And uh, everybody and his voice was just it, and he had it. So he had effects on it, but it still he, the guitar was never out of control or anything. And it was a phenomenal it was a very good show, but yeah, I'm not sure why I didn't become a fan after that. But anyway, another ingredient that I think I would add, and I don't know if you guys would agree with me or not, because I know that he didn't know much Leonard Cohen, even though he recovers a song. I yeah. hear Leonard Cohen's phrasing in a lot of the way he sings. Really? Yeah. 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 I do. Particularly I, the first song. I don't yeah. know if I would notice that. But I tell you what I did notice that I'm surprised that uh, you haven't brought up, Tony. And that's the Prague influence. Yeah, he was he was a big Prague guy uh, or fan of Prague. I mean, it's, and there's there's a band he liked a lot. Rush. He did like Rush. Yeah, he did? I, I think he even ate uh, <laughs> Lucky Charms. Um, yeah, he did. And, and Genesis. And, yeah, yeah, Genesis. Yes, he was into he was into that uh, that uh, type of Prague music. And, and I, I, there's it doesn't poke out a lot. But there's some songs where it is very clear to me. I think, uh, I know we're going to get to it, but I think the guitar, beginning of the guitar part on Grace sounds very proggy to yeah, me. Yeah. That, yep. that, that guitar and part in the beginning. there's another place that I'll talk about when we get closer. Well, you know who else I think you could throw in there? Joni Mitchell. Because of the way... It, some I mean, of the some, way he's lilting voice. Lilting and voice and some of the song structures are... Are non-structures. Yeah. That, yeah. I, that's something I wanted to mention because I don't think we've talked about that with anybody since we talked about the Jayhawks, which is this weird, un, like unconventional song structure. And his songs, his original songs, definitely don't have yeah. what you would call a typical song structure to them. He doesn't like a chord left alone yeah <laughs> every chord is augmented or seventh yeah or yeah. suspended yeah and he's it, he's another one that, i can't remember who the last guy was that we talked about that was oh it was i think it was the moody blues where there was some no i can't remember we're just obsessed with chords and new new phrasings with the chords yeah one of the things that i think keeps this album from being extremely popular is there's not really a hit on it there's very few hooks on it, yeah. and there's a really good reason for that. There's so much modulation yeah. that it's hard to grab the tune because the thing's changing tempo. Um, the yeah, guy's just, changing. Um, he changes key signatures yeah. all the time. His yeah. time is changing. Well, and that's where I think the All these part. chords change every yeah. time you come around again. There's a new... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how if that's. I mean, I think that might be the prog influence, but I get the sense from listening to this album and just what little I know about his life and him from research is he seemed he seemed not able to really be still. Yeah, and his music definitely feels that way. It's yeah. it's very it's not hectic per se, but it's it's uh, kinetic it's maybe. Yeah, or it's, what, it's frenetic, frenetic. Yeah, frenetic, it, yeah. yeah there's just a yeah a restlessness about it. It's always thank like you. A, That's it's a it. Turbulent, like a turbulent sea mm -hmm. almost. You know, not necessarily well, a stormy sea, but still turbulent. It also nothing. We've done this before with another artist, but there's not very much that resolves. No, in right. Any even song. the even the ends of songs don't resolve. Right. Right? Even though they Cohen's, end. Cohen's songs the only one that I feel like. Oh, there we we finished that. Oh, this <laughs> is a chorus here. Yeah. Here's the verse. There's it's uneasy. What album was was it that we did that was all uneasy all the way through? Was that the Love album? Yeah. Yeah. 
that one felt like it never resolved. I, yeah. I didn't feel the same way about this album all the way. There were certain songs, and one song in particular that just leaves me... I like the song, but it leaves me feeling unsettled every time I listen to it. Just really, really unsettled. But, anyway, yeah. as you... Prepare to dive into this album, all of you out there in Tapster land. Be ready for that. You are not going... This is not simple pop songs that you're no. going gonna to rattle off the tune. Yeah, and uh, I never woke up with a single one of these songs on my mind. I, I never no, woke up with singing on my mind. I woke up with a lot of the arrangements on, or some of the string arrangements. My mind doesn't my do mind. arrangements. Oh, but my, my, I did wake up with things, but that may just be the fact that I grew up listening to Prague and uh, <laughs> we do that. I, what I was going to say, just circle back around to what you talked when you were talking about lack of hooks and that they're not, you know, simple pop songs. I think the other sort of elephant in the room about why this album did not do well was when it was released. It didn't sound like anything else that was coming out. This was in the middle of grunge. The guy who produces this album, which is odd, is all over grunge stuff. I think he produced Nirvana's album, yeah, uh, uh, his big it, album, yeah. or he mixed engineered Yeah, he engineered it, mixed it. I mean, he he's all over all of these grunge albums. Yeah, uh, Vir- Virology is that that Pearl Jam album yeah, that came out yeah. this year? That's what people were listening to, or simple pop songs. This fell squarely in the middle of none of that stuff. I don't know if there's a time when this could have come out and not been outside its time. Maybe early 70s when Prague was taken off. I don't know. But but it also, I think that lends a timelessness to it, too. There's not There's it, definitely timelessness. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing yeah. that spoils it. No. There's no, no electric drums no. or yeah. little weird keyboard noises. This You could move this up and down the timeline yep. uh, without any... And it's surprising that how, how few people play on this album that actually makes it sound so big. The drums sound big, the bass sounds I, it big. It sounds like the drummer mixed it to me. Yeah. <laughs> he's up in the front. Yeah, he really and is. And the bass player's doing really cool things, he but is. you have to you have to scrunch, squint your ears to hear it. Yeah, you really do. Now, yeah. I'm going to add a third reason why I think this album did not make it. Okay. The cover is horrible. This is one of the worst covers <laughs> of all time. Uh, this is up there with um, that Neil Diamond live. Oh, with his hair all, over the, hair place, all over the place, or uh, Van Morrison Sense of Wonder, where he's pl- <laughs> where he, he thinks he's Zorro. <laughs> the, the odd thing about that album was Jeff Buckley really disdained being called a pretty boy. I think he was named one of people's like yeah prettiest or most well, handsome or whatever, and he hated that. But that album looks like somebody's trying to be a mad name idol. Yeah, and it really does. It, who was it that he microphone. was compared to uh, oh. as a singer? That uh, uh, Bowen? Oh, what? No, no, no. Uh, is it the guy from the office that they keep thinking he's that guy? What? Yeah. It was Michael. Lord. He's one of those uh, like croon, not a crooner. He, he is a crooner, but a bad one. Yeah, uh, Michael Bolton. Bolton. Oh yeah. God, really? Is he, that the guy that was on the office that did a guest appearance on the office or something? It sounds like something he would do. I, yeah, he was compared to Michael Bolton, but you know why he was compared to Michael Bolton? No, the person said they both try to sing like black guys. That was the comparison, which. <laughs> I don't think I hear I that. I neither hear one that of them. At all. Yeah, I, I think the only uh, black guy he did that, sitting that, on the dock of the uh, Michael Bolton did sitting on the dock of the bay. Well, so. no one needs to hear that. Yeah, yeah. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, if you're thinking you need to cover a Otis Redding song, don't <laughs> just, just just stop right stop there. Right there, we're doing uh, you a favor. <laughs> Unless you're Aretha, Aretha Franklin. Franklin. <laughs> That's funny. That's so funny. I think the reason why I think the person who said that was a little mixed up with somebody singing with soul. 
Yeah. Right. And somebody, you know, this person yeah. obviously wasn't uh, the, the only a deep black thinker. guy that I think does something like this would be Jackie Wilson. Yeah. And there's no angst in Jackie Wilson, so no. that's yeah. completely blown. Right. It's just the jumping up and down the scale mm-hmm. that he does. Well, and he doesn't he have a four? Were you telling us he had a four octave range? That's right. Yeah. And, and we've talked. We've only talked about two other people that had a four octave range. Harry Nelson and Freddie Mercury. Freddie Mercury. Mercury. Yeah. And I can hear a little of both. And oh, certainly, certainly. So let's let's continue on about how he got going. Ten years as a session guitar player. Uh, If you're wondering how to tell if someone's a good guitar player if they can do session work for ten years, uh, (laughs) that's check off that. Yeah. What else, guys? Still staying with his guitar playing. There's just so much coming out of that guitar he has got so many effects on it but it's so amazing to me how he can control that nothing ever sounds like it gets out of control unless he wants it to get out of control there's one song on this album where he kind of lets the feedback go at the end and it's just everything just sounds so big like that's what i remember when i saw him it was just uh, everything just sounded so big and it translated onto this album really really well it's yeah. big without a whole lot of instruments. Yeah. 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 A whole lot of different instruments. Well, we've got a keyboard on this uh, album, Jim. You want to tell <laughs> mm-hmm. us about that? Yeah, there's and a couple of songs. it's not the Mellotron. It's not the Mellotron. There's a... There's a um... It does begin with an M. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's an H. H. I'm sorry. You really confused. I saw the Jam. <laughs> Jam went blank. It's got an M in oh, it. Yeah. Huh? Jam went... Uh, melodica. Um, sorry. No, so the instrument's not that's played... Um, unusually often on this album <laughs> is uh, the harmonium harmonium it's a uh, in the united states and in england it's known as a pump organ but in the, that's kind of where the instrument originated but it got brought over to india and they kind of shrunk it down over there to make it more portable i don't know if you've ever actually played a pump organ but they're they're pretty heavy and they're they're just not very and they Anytime you move them, the, the reeds break and stuff. So anyway, they've there's this version of it that's smaller, and there's two ways you can play it. There's one where you can play it just like a pump organ with your feet. You get both feet moving, and it makes different sounds You can uh, with different stops like a regular organ. And then there's another way that you can play it that is, you find it much more often in, in Indian music, where you, you kind of play it like half of an accordion. So instead of imagine instead of the accordion keys being vertical, they're actually horizontal, but you still have the like a bellows, a bellows and, on the side of it. So I don't know which version of it he's playing. Uh, I would suspect he's playing the, the pump version of it, but it's a nice small instrument. It makes these, it's, it's like a small pump organ. So, so it's, it's a woodwind. It's a woodwind. Hmm. Sort Very of. interesting. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think that gives it a very distinct sound. Yeah. And the, the next thing, other than his voice, would be the, the drumming to me. I, it, it's precise drumming, but it's not disciplined drumming. No, you're right. It's almost, it's almost proggy. Well, <laughs> I think that goes to what Jam was talking about earlier about this. this uh, I, I, sorry, Jam, I don't remember the, the term you used about this. The, you used a, a C term. Oh, turbulent. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it, the Restless. everything about this album seems like ordered chaos in a, in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Turbulent, restless, um, frenetic. 
It's and it and it's got swells. All yeah, the songs swells. have these swells, or most of them do, where it it, yeah. it builds their crescendo and then crashes and then builds up again yeah. and crashes. Yeah, and it's really interesting how he can again that goes to he's got such a control over his guitar playing, he's got such a control over his voice. Uh, and I think he found two guys that could really work with him on that as well. That could kind of and this man was obsessive in the studio also. He was yeah. not he was not Van Morrison, let's lay down the groove and everybody goes. <laughs> and well if there's a f- mistake, maybe we'll fix it. Maybe we won't. <laughs> no, that was uh the I mean the reason why the album running order changed because he was still working. The album was pretty much done. He's still tinkering with it brings in another guitarist to tinkering yeah. with it and it sort of changed the album uh, the running order of the album and songs all right so wh- what do we need to talk about before the album well to get uh, everything cleared up you know he was talk about him before he made this album and he, he i guess he'd been playing around and there was there, there were people that were going hey this guy's tim buckley's son he's he's phenomenal but they didn't know that Oh, really? No, he, he was, they asked him to play at this, well, he, uh, he came in, they, they were doing this tribute album to his dad in New York and he was in New York at the time and he wanted to play it and, uh, or somebody knew about him and they said, Hey, you know, uh, wasn't that his father's, uh, manager that asked Herb, him to Herb Cohen, in? it was, yeah. you're right. He said, Hey, you know, Tim Buckley has a kid and people were like, what? <laughs> Whoa. He's got a kid. Yeah, he's got a kid, Jeff Buckley. That's where he he plays this this song. That you know, he plays a couple of songs. He meets. It's also where he meets Gary Lucas, who's instrumental in this album. So that particular yeah. moment in time where he's playing that concert in New York for his dad, and he even said he didn't get to go to his dad's funeral. He only met his dad one time, I think, when he was eight. Yeah. And not for very long. Not for very long. And his dad died very soon after that, maybe two or three months after that. Yeah. And so he's, he didn't get to go to the funeral. I don't know why. Maybe. He wasn't invited. He wasn't invited to the funeral? Yeah. God. That's what I read. Wow. Jeez. Well, he, I, my opinion of Tim Buckley did not <laughs> improve <laughs> upon that. up any on this. But he has said publicly that, or said publicly that this was his way of being able to sort of say goodbye to his dad or pay his respects to his dad at this concert. And people were blown away by his performance. They're absolutely uh, blown you, away. Do you recall what song he played? No. And I hope you can. <laughs> I never promised to be your mountain, huh. which is his father's song ab- about him, about, Hey, uh, mom and son. Yeah. Uh, wow. I'm not here to be something for you to count on. Um, can you imagine seeing that song that your <laughs> well, dad that, wrote about, dad about you? you? And that had to have off. been like an extra layer of holy cow when people yeah. are sitting in the crowd watching it. Jeez. Yeah, it, it it's probably a small percentage that put it all together, but those that did were probably blown away. Yeah, but but as I mentioned, he mentioned he meets this guy Gary Lucas who was involved in this concert before Jeff was, and Gary Lucas was somebody who'd been around for a while. <laughs> he was in cap the last iteration of captain Beefheart's magic band. He actually, I think managed captain Beefheart, Don van Vleet, however you say his difficult. name, Vliet, uh, for a while. And then uh, the two of them hit it off. They hit it off really well. And Gary Lucas ends up asking Jeff Buckley to be in this band he has called Gods and Monsters. Yeah. So they're playing around New York. Yeah. He's not in it for very long. I think maybe a year, year and a half before mm-hmm. the band kind of disbands. Yeah. They were like a psych 
psychedelic rock band or something like that. So he's on his own. He starts playing clubs around lower Manhattan, New York. He gets a following. People are kind of blown. It's just him and an electric guitar. Yeah. And if you listen to his first release on Columbia, which is just him and it's live, just him and his guitar. Who also introduced the long player record. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Hats off to Columbia. But that's not a long player. It's an EP. <laughs> Funnily enough, <laughs> you it's can extended. get a, you can get a taste of what that was like to see him live. And he plays yeah. a couple of songs off of this yeah. album, off of Grace, and they sound different, obviously, because they're not backed by and he hadn't worked everything out yet. Mm-hmm. But when he was playing around live, that's what he's people started getting interested in him, and he ends up signing with Columbia, and they released that. Uh, Live at, and I don't know how to pronounce the name know, of this club, yeah, Cine. I, yeah. It's an, it's an Irish, I think it's an Irish pub or something like that yeah. in New York or what? Ladies and gentlemen in Ireland, if you know how to yeah. say words like that, please <laughs> uh, send That's us not. a voice recording. But as JM mentioned, he ends up going to Bearsville and Woodstock to work on his first real EP. He's got these guys playing with him. Um, do you want to talk about them at all? The guys that are playing with him on this? Well, Mick, Mick Grondahl and, is the bassist, and Matt Johnson's the drummer. And Matt Johnson went on. He, didn't he work with some more of those grunge guys? There? Probably. I mean, there's this weird sort of grunge tentacles surrounding yeah. an album that is not grungy at all. <laughs> those tentacles were everywhere back then. Yeah. He also gets a, a local Woodstock-based uh, musician named Carl Berger. To write and conduct all the yeah, string arrangements, the, which are amazing. They are amazing. There, there's so many moments in this album that if they had been, if somebody else had handled them, it would have sat, felt syrupy or yeah, sappy, yeah. and the, none, none of it that, even comes close to yeah. that. Yeah, you know, and when this album came out, he may have suffered a little bit from comparison, or may maybe they were thinking that he was going to be such a big to thing. Tim? Yeah, to his dad, to his dad, but but. He was. This album was not well received when it first came out, which surprised me. It was. It was only later, but now it's in albums. You must hear before you die. Rolling Stone. Rolling maybe. Stone's top five hundred. Yeah. David uh, Bowie says uh, it's one of his ten albums he'd bring to a deserted island. Yeah. Well, it did. It did get accolades. Um, Jimmy Page. Yeah. Jimmy Page, and, and who I think influenced him a little bit. A little bit <laughs> says it's uh, his favorite album of the decade. But I mean, it. it uh, it, it did get some accolades at the time. I mean, he won, in 1995, he won this Grand Prix International Du Disc Award from from France that uh, previous award winners were Bruce Springsteen, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell. And that was just a year after this was released. Yeah. And, and I believe Dylan said he was one of the one yeah. of the best songwriters of of his generation. Yeah, so, I heard that too. So he did get some. He got I mean, some clout, but he's yeah. But there was and just, the Australians liked him. Oh, they loved him. Yeah, that out. Al- this album has gone platinum six times in Australia, seven times, <laughs> something like that. And he, I'll, I wonder what the magic juice was in Australia. That's yeah. interesting. I don't know. There's some. They, they have some yeah, good but, taste there. But like I said, when I when I saw him, he was just and met him. He was a very unassuming guy, and I've noticed he was a very he. I almost thought his shyness was affected. I almost thought his shyness was affected. What I've since found out about him, I do think that there was just, he was overwhelmed by people and he was very awkward on stage. Like I remember at one point he trying to sound like a 1920s singer. So he put fingers on the side of his nose and sang through his nose. So it sounded like he was like Al Jolson or something like that. Maybe that's another thing. I'm just wondering if maybe his stage presence and stuff just kind of put some of the critics off. On him, like maybe there was this, this sort of affected 
Um, I'm an artist, but I do think it was, now I think it's very genuine from what I've read about afterward. There's but, some speculation that he might have been bipolar too, which I think well, yeah, has a lot to do with I, the They ladies. didn't even say bipolar back then, did they? No, but this is later on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know... I, 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 they called them all schizophrenic back then. Something like that, yeah. I don't know. Before we start, just one thing, because I've mentioned him a couple of times, and I just want to circle back around and... Sorry if I'm derailing anybody's Does he sound thoughts. Like a press secretary for the president. <laughs> Let's circle back around and talk about Gary Luke, Lucas because that was the guy from Beefheart's band that he, that he played in God and Monsters. The reason yeah. why I wanted to circle back around to him is they started writing music together, and two of the songs and he, are on this album. And he also asked him to come in and play guitar on this album as well. So that guy was a big deal yeah, to big Jeff F-plus. Buckley and a big yeah. deal to what ends up coming out of this album yeah well are we ready to go for the big album itself sure <laughs> so yes ladies and gentlemen little, i'm a little nervous yeah i know yeah we're uh we're hoping it's really we can do something yeah it's something this this new love was it actually starting from scratch no right? no um but this was for at least two of us it's a more complicated album yeah so i we're nervous here right now we're, we're shaking. <laughs> Plus, Tony and I have been so abused lately. That's right. I'm bloodied. But, you know, as Doug said, all of it taken with what it was meant to be to improve the listening has, experience. You probably already noticed Grace improvements from Tony and I, but I'm sure JM's screwing up a lot. I'm screwed. Yeah. So, well, first we got something you and I need to get, and that's a mojo pin. <laughs> Do we? We need a mojo pin. We do? Did you read your mail? This is a Buckley-Lucas combo. Blanket is warm. This body will never be safe from harm. Still feel your hair, black ribbons are cold. Touch my skin, the key. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so not only, not only did he write this with Gary Lucas, Gary Lucas is uh, credited for guitar magicalness, I think, on this. Yeah, because Gary Lucas wrote this as an instrumental and sent huh. it to uh, Jeff Buckley, and Jeff Buckley added lyrics to it. Yeah, yeah, and that good, but that finger picking guitar playing is just that's so much. That's like a Jeff Buckley thing. Um, and unfortunately, the song faded out before we get to the really mind-boggling <laughs> vocals that kick in. And the rest of the instrumentation. Like, yeah. there's, there's weird time signature. It's, it goes into a 3-4 for a while, and then it, it uh, I think there's like a bar of two, and it goes back into a 4-4. Four, four. It's a weird song. Very good song. It's a great song, and it, 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 is, it is strange, and it does not feel like any other song I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Well, it's one of those, it doesn't have structure. And then it goes into, uh, that, um, like that. What do you call it? It's that? not Staccato kind of, yeah, no, it's not, it's not, it's not. not. Well, I'm curious about your comment about a mojo pin though. That's what he felt like he needed. Good I, fortune. Well, I read, that he said it's a euphemism for the dropper full of heroin that you shoot in your arm. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> the well, song is not about drugs. Yeah. I did not 
uh, <laughs> so, that I was, up. so I was a little surprised by that. It's not about drugs. It's about um, being addicted to something else, right? Yeah. This was about him being addicted to a particular girl. Right. Yeah. Right. And <clears throat> so theme he would, of this album, but. all of her mannerisms and all of that, he would collect and mm-hmm. keep for yeah. himself as yeah. his mojo pin. I did not know that about heroin, Tony. I am not recommending. <laughs> and if your wife is listening, I'm not recommending that you go out and get some uh, heroin. Yeah. No, no, but I think that goes with saying he's using that concept to fill the, his mojo pin up with basically all these identifying features of this woman he's obsessed with. And this this is a great opening for the album because there's basically three themes in this album. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. bad romances Mm -hmm. or unsatisfying romances, death, Mm -hmm. and uh, I'll say more about this later, but this is a religious album without a religion. (laughs) And that means it's an album about a void and it's like reading mystery novel where the the main character is missing and the mystery is who's this about. It's I think it's very interesting um, yeah. that aspect of it and it makes Alleluia fit in perfectly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if this every album or every song has something about dying in it or not, but yeah. almost, <clears throat> almost. Which, yeah. Swings us into the next one, right? Which brings us, uh, speaking of religion without religion. And dying. And dying and all the other stuff that we have, the title track, Grace. This is hard to turn it down on this one. I know. Um, it's it's weird. It's a it's in a six eight, which is usually like a happy up tempo, but it's not really all that up tempo or uh upbeat in its lyrics or even the delivery. It's it's a haunting delivery of his you know, it shows what his vocals can do. It's kinda hard I think it's hard not to describe his vocals as haunting <laughs> on <laughs> most of the Yeah, album. it is. There's it a is. lot of wailing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't mean Jennings. The, uh, <laughs> Lord. I had a hard... That was the hardest thing for me, was hearing the, the wailing for that long over yeah. and over again. As I, yeah. You know how much we listen to these before we... And to hear that over and over again became tiresome to me. Now, having said that, it's great singing, and it's perfectly fitting. Uh, it corresponds perfectly with what he's trying to do. Yeah. This is just something that... Uh, the same thing wears me out with Robert Plant. Yeah. I, I get tired of that, even though I know he's a great singer. And I know that it... it and it serves the song. This... Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you please. No, no, it's just... That, that's a, that's a, You know, there are... One of the things I'm going to was going to say in my criticism is that every now and then Led Zeppelin will put something in that is totally different where plants not creaming at the top of his lungs. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's one thing I think that this album lacks a little bit, but that's should be for my later criticism of it. I, what I was going to say is that this is the second song on the album that was co-written by Gary Lucas. Same thing. Same thing. Guitar, magical. Instrumental that he sent to Jeff Buckley. Buckley put the lyrics on it. It was originally going to be called Rise Up to Be. Yeah. 
I, I find the lyrics interesting because they are about death, but it's not necessarily a negative view of death because he, he even says that it's about not feeling bad about your own, own mortality because you have true love to look forward to. Yeah. So yeah. I love this song. This is the perfect example of that crescendo wave thing because this song yeah. Builds, yeah. builds and then up releases and, then all it releases and then builds and releases. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Yeah. it's And the, the guitar part is uh, just phenomenal. <laughs> so I, I did want to say, Doug, because you talked about hooks. I, I, it's not a typical hook, but no, the guitar right. in the beginning is yeah. a hook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. The, it the, the time signature is just, it's, even though it's a six, eight, he's doing something yeah, no, it's, very strange. It's so perfect. The, all the guitar playing. Yeah. If, if he, if it wasn't as good, you wouldn't notice it, but it is so good. Even when he's just strumming, you're going, yeah, wow, yeah. this is precision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. There's one part where he's, uh, I think it's on this song where he's strumming an acoustic guitar and you can barely tell that it's in there because it is just so locked up with mm-hmm. everything else that's going on. This Fantastic was, song. This was the first single and it did nothing. <laughs> it charted in Australia, <laughs> but didn't chart anywhere else. Yeah. I would not have picked that. I wouldn't have been my pick either. Last year, Rolling Stone named it number 394 in the top 500 greatest songs of all time. Huh. Well, it's a, it's a well, good song. I'd probably put it there. They they usually catch up after <laughs> yeah, two decades. I kind of yeah. feel like I'm in their territory yeah. catching up tonight. <laughs> I, I, I definitely feel that way. Well, it's their fault we never heard this. Of course, <laughs> this is in my complete blind spot. Yeah, but this is the year where I just... This is, is, isn't there something else to listen to f- this is from 50 years ago? In Blackstone Audio Books all the yeah. time. <laughs> or I was discovering uh, Columbia I, Jazz... I think I, I did exactly what you were saying, Doug, and I saw this album cover and went, I'm not interested in listening to this at all. <laughs> and it, it looks like he's thinks he's Sinatra or... Yeah. Uh, what's that guy that came out years ago that was... Henry, Robert Blue uh, Harry Harry Connick. Connick. Oh, Harry Connick. It does look yeah. Harry Connick. It looks yeah. like he's going to get up there and go, whoa! <laughs> Sing some Sinatra. I'm going to get... Get me a Manhattan and put me in front of a piano. All yeah. right. Last Goodbye. That's this, my favorite. I, I would have made this the hit. Yeah. This, and I this think would they have did. been the single I would have released. It was the second single it release. Was the sec- I think I remember seeing it on MTV. It did. It had a video that yeah. was pretty big. It actually hit number 19 on the U.S. Billboard Alternative Songs uh, chart in 1995. Yeah. So it was a minor hit for him. Yeah. And it and and I agree with you. It's 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 it's, it's my favorite song on the album. I love the string arrangements on it. I love the uh, the. Just the, the drums are amazing. The way it starts is amazing. That the bass, bass, the bass is I love pretty amazing. Yeah, um, and it's it's even that that what you're talking about the the bass and the the drums are just hitting something that don't sound pretty, but then the rest of everything else that's going on around it is so beautiful. The string arrangements, the singing, the guitar playing. Just, that am I wrong? I'm and I likely am. That beginning part, the do 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 do. Is yeah. that the bass? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, it's playing a tune. It's a melody. Yeah, it's a melody. Yeah. This is the most straightforward song, I think, on the album. It is, yeah. And I think, you know, again, the string arrangements just left in somebody else's hands. They would have probably just been too syrupy, but... uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been covered. (laughs) Yeah. I think it'd be hard to. It's for us. (laughs) (laughs) And it goes without saying how great his singing is. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. I know, but... I mean, if you could pick it up, yeah, and it's not like everybody out there. If you did a brand new version of this, yeah, with a little break with a rap deal in the middle, oh, <laughs> nobody would know nobody would that know, you yeah. were copying a great singer. Uh, I could see this being sampled. In oh some yeah, way. I'm surprised a lot of this uh, <laughs> stuff isn't sampled. Yeah. This is one of the songs that I'd wake up and hear in my head. This is the ones where I would hear the. the the string arrangements and the boom, 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 boom. That that is catchy. Great bass line. That's what I think. These guys are amazing, by the way. I mean, we got to give these guys their credit. He got some good musicians backing him up. I'll tell you what. tell you what. If you're going to have a bass player and a drummer, you might as well get good ones. That's what I say. That's what I say. Well, up next is Lilac Wine. We have a cover, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I drink much more than I ought to drink Because it brings me back you Very nice. Yes, yeah, so this is nice. one that features the harmoni- harmonic harmonium so this was written in 1950 <laughs> it was for a off-broadway play or yes. something yeah and went nowhere i could hear freddie mercury singing this oh <laughs> easily yeah definitely i bet if he'd known it he w- knew about it what he if those said. guys sang together can you imagine oh yeah. lord God, that would have been uh, yeah and this is uh, this is so obviously inspired by the Nina Simone version of this song, yeah, which I yeah. don't know when she recorded it, but there Eartha Kit recorded a couple yeah. other people, and he even said there's only one version of it, and it's Nina Simone's version. Yeah. And if you listen to it, the way this song is structured, his version of it is structured, is, follows that almost yeah. to a T, yeah. including the way she sings certain lines. Yeah, um, It's a good one. When I think more than I want to think, do things I never should do. I drink much more than I ought to drink because it brings me back you. Just replace the piano with guitar and you yeah. got Jeff Buckley's version. So I guess is the his lover dead? I mean, is that what the I, I can't tell what the, what the song's about. If it's, if she's gone or if she's died or or what the it's just here's a guy just lamenting that he's lost this love and he getting I mean it's a, just a heartbreaking song. Getting liquored up on getting liquored up on lilac wine. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's a but again heartbreaking. Well, if she leaves, she might as well be dead, Jim. <laughs> Or fat, but we'll take that out. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, there's your opportunity to write in on JM. 
stuff. That's it, baby. We got it. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I edit this one. <laughs> uh, All right. Well. It, yeah, it's a very good song. It's and it, it's, it's a very inspired cover, too. It, uh, it, he, he said it was introduced. No, it's a, that's another one. Never mind. There's only one way I can describe his vocals, and they're stunning. Yeah. They're stunning on this. And they're so, he, he's going really close to the mic when he's singing it and, um, you know, still doing that hurt, um, falsetto. It's just, yeah, unbelievable. Well, fellas, up next we have So Real. That little guitar deal there. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. Nah, Zeppelin. Nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zeppelin called. They want yeah, the roof Ze- back. Yeah, they want the roof. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I'll tell you, I think he copied another album that came out years, 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 and years after this one did. And that is, have y'all ever heard Morning Phase by Beck? Mm, yeah, yeah. There is something... In this, I can't remember what song it is, but it is so close to to something Beck is doing. It's, uh-huh. it, it distracted me every time I heard it. That's a good album. I need um, this was the third single. This song is really unsettling sounding. Yeah, I don't understand. It's it, it's almost not a song. It's almost it, like four songs well, put together. Stop. I yeah. Mean, well, there's there's a history behind it because there was a different song that was going to be on this album that he had been working on. And he ended up, he wanted, again, he tinkered, he tinkered. He was never happy with the way things sound. So he brought in another guitarist named Michael, I'm going to butcher his name, but Michael Teague, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, Michael Teague is playing this, this uh, bit on the guitar that's like this descending chord progression or something like that. And it yeah. just blows Jeff Buckley away. And so he writes this, this starts writing this song with him about it. Yeah. And um, when they're in the studio recording B-sides for the singles, he decides he wants to take the song that was going to be on the album, which was called Forget Her, which was a breakup song, mm-hmm. and puts So Real on. So he switches it off. Forget Her was the song that the, that the record brass thought was the big hit. And so they were stunned by this and huh. not, a, not a little bit upset. And no one really knows why he really chose to do it other than the fact that he liked So Real better and... Some people think that the other song, Forget Her, was a little too personal for him to put on the album. Hmm. But it changes the feel. When they re-release this later, they stuck Forget Her on her, which to me is a little bit weird because I know it's an outtake, but it's not what his vision was. Yeah. So it sort yeah. of ruins the what his ultimate vision of the album was. But yeah. Anyway. And that song was called So Real. Surreal. Did we not say that? No, I did, but you kept saying surreal. Oh, I'm sorry, so real. <laughs> it, was, it is a surreal song. And the but... drums, man, the drums on this song just are, they just come in at the strangest times. When and uh... how did you like the ending of this song? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I thought it was very Wilconian. I thought it was. Uh, Oh Yankee yeah, Hotel Fox Trotty with all the uh, man, yeah, cacophony. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess I could see that. I, I just every time I heard listen to the song, I felt unsettled, regardless of whether yeah, that was going yeah. on or not. 
it, it didn't make me not want to listen to it. It just wasn't something that was a pleasant feeling. Yeah, if that and makes it's sense. one of the it's not one shorter for you songs. And your lady and a yeah. bottle of champagne. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the shorter songs on the album, but it seems like one of the longer ones. Um, it's a bit of a drone. <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean that in a bad way. No, I mean, it's no, a dr- it is. You know, well, he's doing. A, he's being effective at doing something. Mm-hmm. It may not be something you want to hear every day. No, no. Um, you can yeah. tell. You can tell his uh, Zeppelin influence oh, on yeah. that one yep. easier than any of the others. I yeah, think. it's very his true. His singing is very uh, much like Robert Plant. Yeah. Now here's this song that was popular. Well, I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for. What's the fourth and fifth, J.M.? Well, it's the actual chord progression. He's going from the four to the five, which he actually does. And then I don't I can't And then the major. The uh, major the, fall, the, uh, the minor, minor fall, and, and the, the major, major lift. lift. Yeah. So this is one of those times. I don't know if we all agree with this or not, but most people do. One of those times where somebody took somebody else's song and completely made it their own. I'm going to agree with you. I think he did a great job of it. I still prefer the um, John, John Cale. Cale version, but I think that's because I heard the John Cale version first. So, so. did he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what, I'm less familiar with the Cale version than I am with the Conan version. This is stripped down. Yeah. And I tell you what I love about it is the flawless guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a live take. Yeah. Live take. One take. Um, I... Th- th- if you play guitar, you know how hard this would be to get it right. Yeah. Uh, without any, not a buzz, not a moment's hesitation. Yeah. He nails it, and there's nothing for him to hide behind while he's doing that. Yeah. And the other thing is, more than any other song on this album, I feel like this is what his voice is for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so clear. And he mm-hmm. doesn't he doesn't do the falsetto on this one. You know, yeah, what, what, it's an important thing. He's got the fastest falsetto of anybody yeah, you're ever yeah. going to yeah. hear. I think he owns this song, and I think Cohen's version could have been this good if he'd stripped out yeah, so much. Of, so, much um, so much of the crap he put in there. Yeah, and, and, and just consider, Cohen wrote, what, 80 verses to this yeah, song? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. That John and, Kelvin took, took yeah. to make his own. <laughs> um, to put so much effort into all those yeah. verses, and then to let some... Body come in and just cover it up yeah. with a choir. I I don't understand. Well, the, the other thing, I cannot believe this is his voice and his guitar because it sounds. Uh-huh. It took me when the song was over. I just went. That was him. Everything was just him, and it sounds so full. His guitar. That's the thing about his guitar playing. It sounds so full. I think one of the th- most remarkable things you're gonna, you guys are going to laugh at me is about this song is the way it begins with that exhale. I huh. think that is absolutely well. Perfect. It starts off. He does a and he when he starts playing it, he's playing it in the minor. But but before he even starts playing, he goes, oh wow, and it's just yeah. <laughs> just really sets the the tone yeah. for what he's about to do. And yeah. um, well, the guitar play, yeah, I just I can't. Get over it, his his take on this song is interesting too because he does not he doesn't think it's religious. He thinks it's about sex. Really? Well, some of it is. Yeah. 
But he it, says, it is another, it's what I said at the beginning. This is a very religious song without a religion. And yeah. it was when Conan, I mean, <laughs> I tell you what's fun is get on the internet and read what people think this song is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you'll find out that Western civilization is dead and they, have, <laughs> they know nothing. Like when, when it's talking about David, uh-huh. they don't know who David is. Uh, really? They That's don't surprising. know who he's watching. Uh, they huh. don't know it's Bathsheba over there taking wow. a bath. Huh. And when they talk about uh, breaking the kingdom, mm-hmm. they don't know about... Uh, uh, David ruining... The- they don't know about all the disaster that comes as a result of this. You yeah, know, of David, actions. if you don't know, yeah. David acquires Bathsheba. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, through a dubious... Yes, well, more uh, than dubious the, uh, means. Yeah, horrible horrible means. Uh, After horribly- she finds out she's pregnant, he has to do something about her... Husband, yeah. because yeah. keep in mind, this is a death penalty for adultery in the in yeah. Israel. So uh, Uriah, her husband, is sent into battle, and then everybody Certain backs death. off and lets him die at the yeah. orders of David. So he's guilty of adultery and murder. And then, of course, Nathan comes and says, God's going to forgive you, but this is going to cost you. Uh, your kingdom will never be at rest. So, And it isn't the son, the son from that encounter dies and then david has a son rape a daughter of his and then <laughs> absalom kills the son who raped the daughter and then absalom fights david for the kingdom so uh, there you are the kingdom was broken and then we have people cutting the hair off of this guy <laughs> mm-hmm. which as if david didn't have enough problems she brings solomon in and yeah um, <laughs> gets Deliah cutting his hair off in the yeah. kitchen with it. So the it, the lyrics in this are beautiful. Yeah. Marble, your flag on the marble arts is just like a vic, like it's her victory deal. I don't know. It's it could be the victory after the love affair, or it could. They also use the marble arts for funerals. So I don't know which one he's doing, or it uh, could be both. Yeah, but. I never get tired of this song, and I never got tired of him singing it. Yeah, I never get tired of this song either, even though it's been covered on The Voice quite Wait, I don't. how many times. But... <laughs> I, there are people that do make me tired. <laughs> that wasn't a universal blanket to go out and cover this. No, and, and I think that's that's the sad thing, is that uh, the the loud chorus of awful versions of this have, yeah. I think, drowned out. Well, they, they don't version. understand. Yeah, they, they go into the histrionics of it where, you know, again, this is Buckley's plaintive voice that comes through on this. Is It, it really does. There's almost a forgiveness. And, and it's... It's kismet that he goes that he hears the John Cale version yeah. in first because yeah. this where did I don't he think hear this, that oh at the um uh the Cohen tribute album no he yeah he's house City. oh that's right for <laughs> and I'm he sorry. finds that album yeah. there and he plays it over oh, and over wow. that's I right I you talk about, about oh the this song is so whatever rainy um, day album this this uh, song is so important to everything I'm, the, that I'm your fan album yeah yeah everything. <laughs> Everything that happens is based on this song, and it's just oh, I'm sitting at someone's house in this album. So. Yeah, but I, you know, it's so stupid to say, but who knows if it was this version would have been possible had he heard the Leonard Cohen version first? I don't no, think it would. I, I don't think you would. I don't think plugged you in. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, yeah, it's the same one. Versus the John Cale version is so stripped down. It is, and it's a great version of that oh, song yeah. as well. Yeah. Very important song in this, um, and and the, the theme of the song is interesting. 
All these things go wrong. It's the broken hallelujah that's the key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All these things go wrong, and nonetheless, you sing hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. So for this is the non-religious religious part, but if you're, he's saying hallelujah to life or existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas um, most cool. people saying hallelujah might refer to something else. This is of course is named. Uh, this is one of those songs that came became. A hit afterwards right? yeah yeah and it's what the shrek movie made it a hit <laughs> well, it's, yeah and it's uh listed rolling stone caught up finally and listed as one of their top 500 greatest songs of all yeah. time so he's got <laughs> more than one song on yeah that way list. to go guy we ought to start measuring the the delay yeah time on that. <laughs> probably if they were a pit crew yeah. you'd never finish a race <laughs> <laughs> all right well i got two wrapped up in that one uh, I'm a big fan of the songwriting in that one, if you can't tell. Oh, <laughs> this is one I really love. Yeah. Lover, you should come over. Looking out the door, I see the rain fall apart. Salvations as the shoes fill up with water. That's my favorite, ladies and gentlemen. My, mine too, Doug. It's uh, it's very close. the The lyrics on this one I absolutely love, and oh, the the line, uh, "My kingdom for a kiss upon your shoulder." It's just instead of a horse. <laughs> just, um. Yeah, I mean, again, is this another one where she's left or is she died? I can't tell the difference, but he, it, you know, to his, and this is, I'm going to sound, I don't know how I'm going to sound, but anyway, corny. But, you know, is there really a difference if somebody breaks up with you versus when they die? You never, you know, not at never, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's I not, mean, not at the moment. Not it's at the not. moment. Well, it is different. If they die, they haven't rejected you. Well, well yeah. but there's also if they die, there's not a chance for reconciliation either. Yeah, yeah, so that's true. So either way, it's a, but I mean, just it's, to, I guess it's better for. I haven't thought of this before, but it's better for her if she's not dead, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, she she would like to be alive, but I mean, it's just the the sadness Y'all in it. Teach me to think about others, and the the again the drums just hit at such a they're they're present but at the same time they're just so so soft and just the whole and then and again the the acoustic guitar playing the strumming mm-hmm. the acoustic guitar being played on this is just phenomenal my first word in my notes on this song is wow <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to say wow just wow uh <laughs> you need to get on social media more yeah, yeah i do so I was obviously listening to this over the last couple of weeks and listening to it around my kid and my daughter said, this sounds like a song you would love, Dad, <laughs> which, which is funny because obviously I was not, when this album came out, I was not in the right headspace to get this album. Yeah. Completely ignored it. But she's absolutely right. This, sound, this, could, this could be with a few tweaks of Jellyfish song. Well, yeah. You know? Well, and then just the, the, the way that he's at the end of it, when he's just 
vamping and the, mm-hmm. the, you know again it's kind of crescendoing then the organs coming in there and just yeah it's just a, another heartbreaking song and it's damn i wish he could have done more songs like this mm-hmm. it's an incredible song it is yeah. and up next why are we experts <laughs> the next album is ne- next song <laughs> next song is Corpus Christi Carol <laughs> Did you know neither Bruce Springsteen, Bob Seger, nor Bob Dylan can sing that song? (laughs) This is a gutsy song. It is a gutsy, gutsy song. And again, the guitar playing is so sparse. And just he'll understand how he does it. He'll just play one note. And then after that, there'll be like three or four yeah you know it'd be one thing if it was if it were an acoustic guitar yeah when you're on electric guitar all tuned up like that i mean turned up yeah i mean it's not hard to make nasty noises (laughs) and you know one of the reasons i think distortion is so popular is it hides so much it does but we've got a crystal clear sound here and we've got a crystal clear voice oh my lord this sounds like something from a different time well and it I was mean, written by a different the, time i mean baroque it was yeah. written in the 1500s yeah, yeah. i guess so, i was right <laughs> so he uh this song was introduced to him by his friend and he actually he loved singing it and mm-hmm. he what and language he, was it in i don't know benjamin so is that why benjamin Britten gets he, credit on this because it's he, his arrangement his arrangement of it his arrangement yeah, of it. Arrangement okay. of you know it. he wasn't 1500s it, it's a, it's a, it's an old hymn from the 1500s or based yeah. on an old hymn from yeah. it maybe not the same song but yeah. i mean it's obvious listening to well, it what it sounds like it yeah. sounds like that period but, but it yeah it sounds like something benjamin britten would i i, I guarantee you they didn't have an electric guitar version back then <laughs> no they had a lute yeah. i would love to have seen the record executives faces when they're listening to this album and this song comes up there yeah huh yeah, well, but it yeah, fits the, so well. It fits perfectly. It's a great break, too. Yeah, it really is. After Lover, and you should come over. You know, uh, I was joking earlier, but who else could do this? I mean, a small, small mm-hmm. Nielsen. Nielsen, uh, Nielsen probably could do it. Yeah, you know, uh, with an orchestra behind him. Maybe Queen. If somebody I, could get him to tune I, down, I, just I don't. A little I don't bit. think Freddie Mercury could sing this. He he's not subtle enough to do. Yeah, this. yeah. that's that would be his challenge. Yeah. Definitely would yeah. be able to pull it in. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's Joni great. Mitchell could do it. Maybe. Yeah, but she's a girl. <laughs> yeah, beautiful arrangement. Beautiful. I mean, the guitar playing. If, if kids, if you want to learn how to, I mean, this is this is what guitar playing is all about. It's not histrionic guitar solos, not hammer-ons and all that. This is primo guitar playing and uh, something flawless. Flawless, yeah. Now, Leonard Cohen, could he do it? <laughs> uh, uh. All right. Well, that was Corpus Christi Carol. 
Which, of course, I, is not about the Texas town. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the city of Corpus Christi? No, no, no it's not. What is it about? <laughs> the body of Christ. Oh, that's uh, right. We got the... For those who we got the, don't know. We got the papist here to tell us what the Latin is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Probably the most devastating song yeah. on the album. Eternal Life. A Jeff Buckley tune. You wouldn't guess from what you've heard so far that his voice would work on that. You're right. And um, when I when we were listening to this album for this podcast, I this was the one where I was just like, man, I, I can't wait for this one to be over until I was listening to it today. And I just had the exact same thought you did, Doug. It's like, I actually like these vocals on this, even though it's the most grungy song on it. Like, I could imagine... Uh, Eddie Vedder or somebody just and 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 it, another thing is his voice is off the mic. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's buried much more in the mix on this one. I think it's a little too clean for grunge. The the, the sound of it. Yeah, but but it, I don't think this guy does not clean it. Yeah. It, it but it, I will say it reminded me. I like this song. I think it fits on the album, but it does remind me of that old Sesame Street thing where they would play that one of these things is not like the other yeah. type thing. <laughs> You know, um, oh, you mean because it contrasts so much with the rest? I of the think record. if he yeah. was going to leave a song off of it, this would have been the the one to do it. Now, I'm I'm not saying he should have. That but. that being said, I don't know how this wasn't released and catapult like yeah. surpri- like you know trick people into buying the album. Right, they hey, buy this grunge and, kids. Yeah, they buy this yeah. and then they're like blown Here's away. Grunge by the, with the, a singer, <laughs> <laughs> not a yelper or a, <laughs> or, a, or a shouter, yeah. or a grumbler. <laughs> yeah, <or> grumbler. <laughs> well, you know he's. So uh, probably the distinction here is he's coming at grunge from his influences, Zeppelin, yeah, yes, yeah. whatever. Whereas yeah. the grunge people were coming from Neil Young. You know, yeah, our, yeah. So. Our number one download. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that's, why I, I that's think, why I mentioned it. Doug. Yeah. I'll, I, yeah, everybody go download Neil Young now, um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, just Jenna. a little shop, uh, Spotify. Uh, <laughs> has a conflict with Neil Young, which causes people to type in Neil Young on Spotify all the time, and it leads them to our podcast, obviously, and he has more downloads. He has twice as much as um, Pink Floyd, which is the next one. Yeah. So that's a little uh, inside humor there. Um, I, this is this is a well-done song. It's, it's, it is. Uh, but the, it's the lecture song on the album, and... Mm. Uh, you, Doug Cooper has expressed himself on lecture songs before, so I won't go any further. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, I can see that. He's yeah. against war and bad stuff. You know yeah. what? I apologize to everybody. This was the this was released. This was the fourth and final single. Oh, so really? how no. it wasn't a hit, I don't know, yeah. especially when it was released. I don't remember. Did it do anything? I don't I don't think so. Like number eighty seven on the hot one hundred? <laughs> I can alternative. No. Well, that's because nobody likes being lectured to. <laughs> Four dead in a <laughs> You know, I'm going to have to put the keywords Neil Young in this episode. <laughs> we got a new, we got a new <laughs> second place. 
Um, <laughs> That's funny. But um, yeah, it, yeah, he does a good job. He's he's talented. And this is obviously uh, talented. I just don't want to hear. And it. another That's, one with his great guitar playing on it. Uh, this would probably be fun to play live. Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. About live. Yeah. And if it was in a different yeah. language, yeah, I would love it. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, you know, the, a lot of these songs are are complicated. This one's fairly straightforward and fun and rocky. Yeah. I think he'd probably have a fun fun time playing. Yeah. yeah. Might even get the girls to dance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next is. A disturbing, uh, well, it's not disturbing. It's, well, I'm not going to say what it is and let y'all decide. Dream Brother, the last song. Sounds a little bit like someone's about to get stabbed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stabbed in India. Yeah, in a James Bond movie. <laughs> no, what are they? Pakistan or something. Yeah. Like, uh, Tunisia. <laughs> this funny. is uh, the Harry Nielsen song. Um, Dream Brother. This is about, hey, friend of mine that just got a girl pregnant. Don't do what my dad did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the only song credited to all, to uh, the three original guys in the band, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's brought in a tabla player, and um, he actually plays some of the, the tablas on it. For those who don't know, tablas are, you hear them a lot. They're, they're Middle Eastern drums. There's two of them. You put them in between your legs, and you... Uh, I've been to Zilker Park. <laughs> Eeyore's. You've been to Eeyore's? Eeyore's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so he Ladies and gentlemen, that is a place where the hippies, hippies their the last vestiges of the hippies, are, and those hippies that want to be and be shirtless. So the the question or the thing we always talk about: How does this feel to roll the album out? Well, if you like uh, leaving unsettled, uh, it's good for that. Let's 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 just go through this line here because this will give the audience a better understanding of why. This is disturbing. He's speaking to his friend, one of his close friends, who has gotten a girl pregnant and is thinking about, I've got to have my freedom. Uh, He's probably got Freebird in his cassette player. (laughs) He says, don't be like the one who made me so old. Don't be like the one who left behind his name. Because they're waiting for you like I waited for mine. And nobody ever came. Oh, Lord. That's so heartbreaking. That's that's, pretty heartbreaking. um, This is, I think, the best songwriting on the album. It's simple, straightforward. And whenever you take away the um, metaphors and Mm -hmm. similes and cover for it, it, you have to write really well. And and that's, if, (laughs) can you imagine your son writing to that to you? Yeah. Wow, uh, he didn't have to hear it, but no. that's that's really something. Yeah. And if you're the if you're the guy thinking about splitting on your kid and your yeah. uh, girl, that yeah. may make you wonder. Do we uh, know what the outcome was? No, I don't. Um, no, I don't either. God better hope he stayed, or his kid's going to grow up and sing this song to him at his funeral. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, <laughs> All right, tribute, it is, it is the tribute, tribute concert. Yeah. He'll be singing that to was, his own. This bed. guy was. I mean, he's a musician. He was in uh, Fish. 
Oh, not fish. No, was, it's one of those like that. Yeah, I've saw that. Wasn't fishbone? Fishbone. Uh, it was fishbone. It was, a fish it was bone. in fishbone. Yeah. Chris Dowd is yeah. the guy's name. Yeah. If you're listening, Chris, call us up and tell us what happened. <laughs> yeah. Did you stay? Uh-huh. I I don't. Given the personal nature of this, I can understand it being last. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as far as making people happy before they go, I don't. I don't. I think can't. It, I can't really think of where else you would have put it though. I, 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 it's the most, I don't know which I would put last. Well, maybe hallelujah. I, no, I think I agree with JM because the emotional resonance of the song, if you put it in the middle, you're almost like, do I want to continue listening to this? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas if it's at the end, you can rest. What if it was followed up with hallelujah right after this? Because hallelujah (laughs) is... Everything's broken, yeah, but yeah. hallelujah anyway. Yeah. yeah, maybe that would resolve. I don't know. It. I mean, I, I, was I don't have a, I don't have yeah. no belief that he's trying to resolve anything. Yeah, I was listening to this today um, while I was mowing the lawn, and at the, uh, the end of this it's about him. <laughs> well, Isn't this, this is a odd, work day too. Yeah. <laughs> and right when I was finishing the lawn, there's there, like there was this long pause, and then. I guess I, ha- I was listening to like the extended version of it and something totally different came on. It was just totally got me out of that. That's the that forget world. her that comes up. Is that what it is? On the, yeah. uh, on the newer yeah. the, the song, the song he didn't want on the album. Yeah. And it just totally threw me. I went, man, no, 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 no. I can't <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. Well, and the, the one thing we didn't mention is this was a CD. This was not, yeah. this was not released know. when, I, I don't know, maybe it was so it's on cassette. 50 I have no idea, something but, minutes. Yeah. But it's, uh, so it's 94, right? Yeah, ninety four. It's a so the 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 sequencing is different because yeah. it's not side to side. It's all one long. And sequencing. CD is compact disc. <laughs> Do we need to tell people that? I don't know. Kids might... these days, if you give them a CD, they they look at you like, "What am I going to do with this?" <laughs> they don't like. If you gave them a pair of Macintosh speakers, they would go. Anyway, uh, yeah. another reason that our demographic is 50s. <laughs> well, boys, this is a fine record. It sure was. Um, that way you can talk about how it all came to an end. Yeah, that's very unfortunate. He actually... Jay Monk, you cover this since you used to live in Memphis. Yep. I um, He moved to Memphis, I think, right before this album was made. Is that No, he moved in 96 afterwards. 96? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So he moved to Memphis and he was about to go in to record his second album. And uh, the Mississippi Delta was the, shining like yeah. a. Uh, so it was pretty close to guitar. the Mississippi. He was waiting on the, the band and they were running late. And there's all sorts of speculation about what he was actually doing. But from most accounts, he was actually hanging out with a friend and his friend was sitting there with him and all of a sudden fully clothed Jeff Buckley jumps into the Mississippi river. And I don't know if y'all know the seeing the Mississippi river. That's not something that you do. It's the father of rivers. It's the well, father. He, he, it wasn't the Mississippi. It was a, a Wolf river Harbor, which is a tributary of the Mississippi. So okay. it's not quite, he's not, not quite, quite jumping, jumping into, into that. Okay. Yeah. But he gets pulled out. And when he does, as he's going out, there's a, a boat, that's a tugboat or a, a, a tugboat. yeah going out and it leaves quite a wake and there's an undertow under that and Jeff Buckley gets pulled underneath and the wor- worst thing was his friend was going what the hell are you doing yeah and he just turned his back for a second and Jeff Buckley got 
Yeah, he turned his back, I think, because the he was worried about the wake. They had a jam box playing whole this this is I yeah. mean as awful as this is, this is poetic. Yeah. The jam box is playing Zeppelin. They're playing whole, and he's and Jeff Buckley's full the fully clothed thing is weird. Yeah, I think he even and, had steel toed boots on. Yeah. Yeah. He's going out in the water singing at the top of his lung along with whole lot of love. Why would he have steel toed boots? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I read. I don't. Know yeah, I mean, I've, out, I've heard this. I've heard that, but it's but you're right. Why why jump in with all your uh, clothes on? He, yeah. Uh, one of the things I read was he had a tendency to to he'll di- he'd disappear for a couple of days. Yeah. People wouldn't right. know what what happened to him. So who knows what was it? May have been a manic episode or something. I don't know. Yeah, because um, there was speculation. Was it? A suicide? Was he trying to commit suicide? I mean, it it seems like a pretty stupid way to. Well, it doesn't seem suicide. like he was. I, I didn't hear anything about him being upset when this happened. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty comfortable believing it was an accident. Yeah, his I'm sure it believes was. that too. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. Just a dumb thing to jump in the water fully clothed, <laughs> especially with all that talent. Yeah, if you play guitar like I do, I could understand it. But <laughs> to do that, he was yeah. thirty. Damn. Yeah, thirty yeah, years old. Thirty years old. That's pretty late to have your first album. Well, but, but he consider was consider what might have. Yeah, of course you. He was a session player. We so. have to we have to refrain from the what would have happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I, I think it's important to just briefly talk about what has happened afterwards because there's a ton of stuff out there. People have glommed yeah. on to selling stuff, slapping his name on his stuff. He was the the album jam was talking about was called My Sweetheart the Drunk, and yeah. they released the version of it he was working on, which it was not. By any stretch, the way he worked on Grace was yeah. nowhere near what he probably wanted that album to sound like. Yeah, so it's it leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I know people want to hear his music. Well, it's but, kind of like the Jimi Hendrix thing, you know. Yeah. Like people were just finding, oh, here's him jamming on guitar. Let's put some instruments behind it and yeah. make a record. Or, or as much as I love McCartney, that whole thing with the Lennon songs they did for that. Yeah, yeah. You the, know, where the where he uh, and Harrison the, and yeah the. Uh, Free as a bird, and yeah. I forget what the other song was. What was it? They, All got, the they got his voice on there. They've got Lennon yeah. singing, you know, a through demo a cassette. And, uh, yeah, it's terrible. So, haven't, I mean, how many albums do you have to sell before you say it's enough? <laughs> well, yeah, and again, I I get people wanting to hear stuff, but it, to JM's point about mowing the lawn and hearing that song come on afterwards, that was not what he. That wasn't his yeah. reason. Have mm-hmm. some respect for what he wanted. Yeah. If you want to release it as a, you know, a, a extra disc or something yeah. okay whatever but by the way listening to music and mowing the lawn is one of my favorite things to do because i've got my really quiet lawnmower. yeah but you got the new electric lawnmower electric lawnmower it's a whole new world and it's perfect it takes me just enough time to go through one and you um, can't, you can't all hear we, when he runs over a yeah. stick and flies and it's so <laughs> environmental it, it, yeah it's our our coal burning lawnmower yeah <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, what about legacy? I think a lot of people have taken some things from this. I mentioned Beck earlier. I don't know that for a fact, but it sure sounded like it. You guys- I'm support of surprise. More people haven't tried to emulate his guitar playing because it's Maybe so you have to be too good. I don't know. Yeah, it is an unusual style, um, but it's so you just don't hear guitar like that. It's just so clean, and so it's again, it's finger picking most of the time. It, you know, what uh, about that loose style of his? Has has anybody? Yeah, that's another thing. Copied that? I don't. I have. I mean, nothing that I've heard. You know, and I, I tend to like my songs more compact. I mean, I'm not power pop punk Tony, but but this album, 
is an exception to that. Well, fellers, are we ready to do some ranking? Yeah, I think so. Okay, well, I'm going to go to me last since I didn't pick this album. <laughs> and I'm going to start with uh, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, our humble producer. All right. We're going to give two ratings here, ladies and gentlemen. One is if we did not have a heart and only were a brain, if we only had a brain, <laughs> what would the uh, rating be as a critic? And the other one is uh, how we feel about it, how often we're going to listen to it, what what our personal rating would be. Okay, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Okay, so I'm going to go with my critic rating first. And I'm going to try to pretend like I'm not Rolling Stone in 1994 and pretend like I'm rolling in a, writer, a critic for Rolling Stone in 2022. I think this is a fantastic album. I think it is very unique. I'm surprised that I wasn't more aware of it when it when it came out because it, I do think it got there a lot of like I said a lot of people that I hung out with listened to this album I wish I I think that some of my hesitancy would have been things like the album cover and yeah I just could kind of think of them as just kind of a you know the songs were too loose so I'm going to give it a four eight as a critic I really do think that you should you should hear it if you haven't my personal rating, I'm going to give it a 4-2. I definitely will listen to it again. The one thing that I wish is that even though the production is real clean and his guitar playing is real clean, sometimes I wish there was just a little less of the sheen on it uh, in some places. I wish there was just more like straight singing, uh, just you know, straight a straight song every now and then. But that said, that's that's a minor criticism. And the other, the last thing I'll say is, I wish I'd spent more time with this. I wish I'd had more of an opportunity to listen to it because it definitely got better with every listen. So uh, I, I imagine I gave it a four two, but that could easily go higher. Thank you, Jonathan J M Rowe. Well, Next, we go to Power Pop Tony, and maybe we should mention Prog Tony too <laughs> this evening. I agree with JM. This is a four eight. I think it's a solid four eight. This album is unlike any album I've listened to in a long time. Unlike anything I was listening to in 1994, the risk of repeating myself. I obviously wasn't in the right headspace to appreciate this album when it came out. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I am now. I, I like you, JM really wish I could spend more time and I will, I'll listen to it, but I wish I could have spent more time. I don't know if I ever would have felt comfortable being prepared. We talk about, how we don't want to do jazz albums. I'm not going to necessarily say this is like that, but it felt a little bit like that for me. Like I didn't yeah. know if I was going to be able to speak about this in a way that was meaningful, but it's it, critically, I think this hits all the notes is this album for solid four, eight. I'm going to give it a four five. I loved listening to this album. The only reason it's not a five is there are moments of it that are unsettling to me. Like Doug, I think, I need a break from time to time. It's not something I just put on and listen to over and over again and not, not yeah. feel, I don't get tired of it, but it, it wears me out if that makes any sense. So four, four, eight critical four, five personal. All right. Sounds like we're all in the same neighborhood. I am not finished. So this is not a finished. This, this rating is not going into the kiln. It will not be fired. It will be left. You're still glazing it. It'll be left for changes to come. But I'm I'm going to go with the four eight as a critic, and I have. If anybody says, "Dude, 
you don't understand. I'll say, yeah, you're right. I'm not through listening to this record. I haven't consumed it completely, but it's, I, I know enough to know it's an exceptional piece of music. Uh, my personal rating is going to be a four or five. And that's, that's not because I don't think it's good. That's because I'm going to ding it points off of uh, how much I can take of the whaling. And I'm going to ding it for worldview. And that's that's not a critical deal. That's a personal deal. I get frustrated with... with uh, lectures. Well, I, I'm, I wasn't even thinking of lectures. But, but just problems that I don't think need to be problems. This is it's highly personal and has nothing to do with the review of the music. It's just the way it makes me feel and how likely I am to dive in over and over again. If, <coughs> if it's, if it's so different than how I see the world, it makes it very hard for me to uh, associate closely with it. And that by no means is a criticism. So uh, four, five and four, eight, and thank you for telling us to Absolutely. listen to this. Absolutely. Next time you recommend something like this, say, you need to start listening six months before <laughs> you review it. Because uh, yeah. I was caught by surprise by was, how yeah. sophisticated and complicated this album was. Yeah. Well, at this time, we usually say, Tony, what are the kids listening to? But in order to help JM screw up more so he can get hate mail, <laughs> we're going to say, JM. Do you have a recommendation for us? Yes, we're actually going to start a new uh, segment here on This Is Vinyl Tap called We're Not Worthy. And this is a pretty good album to enter. Uh, we just did. It fits perfectly. It fits perfectly. Because um, what we mean by this is it's albums that we actually like, but we don't feel like we're, uh, we have the credentials to uh, make. I have a commentary on it that would not make us embarrassed. So I'm going to recommend an album, and I'm not sure how pretentious I can sound, but um, I'm going <laughs> to re- sound pretentious, Jam. <laughs> Trust me. I'm going to sa- uh, go with an album by Miles Davis. Um, it's an album that was released in 1969. It was done. It was the album that came before uh, Bitches Brew, which is the one that everyone uh, kind of. Now we're going to have to change our rating yeah. on yeah. here. <laughs> Uh, this one is called In a Silent Way, and it's has the, the what I think is Miles Davis's greatest group uh, list behind him. Uh, you got Wayne Shorter on the tenor saxophone. Uh, you got three keyboardists, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, and Joe Zawinul. Uh, you have a very young Tony Williams, one of his first recording sessions. I think he was 17 at the time this album was made. You have the great John McLaughlin on guitar. And then you have Dave Holland, a phenomenal upright bass player. But this is just the the way that these guys play. It, and it's not your typical jazz album. It's it's very, it's much more quiet. Um, there's, in fact, the name of one of the songs is Shh. And the other one is called, you know, In a Silent Way.
Uh, there are a few places where it goes a little bit up tempo, but for the most part, it's just kind of droning sounds. Uh, John McLaughlin uh, hardly just, he never just lays out on guitar or anything. He's just playing really tasteful uh, little runs and stuff. But anyway, I highly recommend it. If you're if you're into jazz, probably know it. But if you're not into jazz, I would say that this is a great, and, and you're interested in jazz, I would say this is a great introduction to it. Um because it's not all over the place, and it's just, and it's very pretty, very pretty album. Cool. And it will put you in a trance. It will. Cool. Yep. I don't know that album. I'll have to listen to it. No, no. that's a good album. It is a good album. Of course, which of Miles Davis albums? <laughs> not the good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to another exciting conclusion. <laughs> I don't mean to say that you're all excited that it's over, but that's what it sounded like. Another exciting conclusion to This is Vinyl Tap. Thank you so much. We're going to turn it over to JM again. Okay. And he's going to tell you what's coming up. Well, that's it for this episode. So next week, we're going to be taking a listen to one of the great unsung singer-guitarists in uh, popular music, the great J.J. Kale, and his album, Naturally. After midnight, we're going to chill and shine. We're going to cause talk and suspicion. Give an exhibition Find out what it is all about For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11. After midnight Gonna shake your tambourine After midnight gonna be peaches and cream